Now, this morning, I would like to deliberately introduce an element of doubt. Of some things in life, there is no doubt. If I drop my pen, it will fall to the floor. I don't exactly know why. I know something called gravity is involved. Sorry, if I take these off to look at you, it all disappears. I know something called gravity is involved, but I couldn't explain that to a class of students studying physics. I just have observed it. I know that it consistently does the same thing. Whether it's a pen or a ladder that you're standing on, clearing out the gutters, or a bicycle that slips on ice, everything falls straight down with lesser or greater consequences. Isn't it? It's the same lack of doubt in gravity that gives you the heebie-jeebies when you're in an easy jet and suddenly you hit turbulence, doesn't it? Because although you may not understand how gravity works, you know that this great big cylindrical tube you're sitting in could hit the ground at a great speed. And although I remember from O-level physics them saying something about the air going over the curve of the wing and under the curve of the wing makes it go up, suddenly you're not as convinced of that bit of physics uh, as you are in the absolute trust you can have in gravity. So we're surrounded by things like that, that we know are absolutely dead certain. But what about faith? Can it be dead certain? I'm not sure if we're even allowed to mention the word doubt in the context of a church service or a Bible study. It's a bit like a skeleton to be kept away in the cupboard. But you know the best thing to do with a skeleton that's in a cupboard is get it out and have a look at it and see if it's as scary as you thought it might be. And inevitably it won't be. So I'd like us to do that this morning just for a few moments. To consider the role of doubt in our faith. And we can disguise the word doubt by calling it questions. Do we ever have questions? And I have to say the last 12 months has raised questions in my life. And when I wrote that down, I immediately wrote straight after it, could I add that the last 40 years of my life has raised questions for me? And some of my questions are as recent as this last week, this last few days. How do we as a community here in Northern Ireland seem to be so absolutely committed to conflict and division when we're one of the most Christianized pieces of ground on the planet. When we think of the heroes, when you think of the risks that people have taken, when you think of the courage that people have shown in crossing boundaries and barriers, when you think of the risks that even some of our politicians have taken, how does it keep going wrong? When you think of the prayer meetings we've attended, when you think of the March for Jesus as we've marched up and down the streets of this city, when you think of the outreaches we've been involved in, the summer camps, the, all the things that, we, that have happened in this wee bit of land. How does it keep going wrong? And over the years, I know in our wider family, and I don't just mean Janice and me, but the wider McCartney's and all the in-laws, the questions that have been raised by the deaths of children and of young adults and of jobs lost and money squandered and relationships broken 
and bitterness. It doesn't say you get healed. And I don't want you to think for a moment that we live in the worst family in the world. I think if you spread any of our families out, we'll discover that these things are amongst all of us. Why does it happen? How does it not get fixed? How, how do my prayers not seem to sort it all out all the time? So there's an element of doubt somewhere hidden away inside when these things come along. But quite often we find it difficult to express it or say it. And even standing in front of you this morning saying some of these things, I'm feeling quite nervous about how can a church leader really have questions like that going on inside his or her head or heart. I'm going to just say that the Bible gives us permission to think and feel these things. Psalm 6, I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. That's the words of somebody heartbroken. Psalm 10, O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble, when I'm in trouble? That's the words of someone who feels they've been let down or let go. Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. That's the words of someone who thinks it's all going away from them. O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? The words of someone who's losing hope. And these are all written by faithful people in the Bible. And even in our resurrection stories that we heard read to us this morning, there are strange descriptions of the people who were in the inner circle of God's, of Jesus' movement way back 20 centuries ago. When he said to some of them, and these are in the resurrection moments. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He's speaking to people who aren't grasping what he has been telling them. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. It's almost as if Jesus can't believe. How can they still not believe this? And then Thomas, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, I will not believe. Peter, who's just been to the empty tomb, went home again, wondering what had happened. So there are questions in us. There are doubts in us at times when life assaults us. Um, and yet there's a cling to faith in us as well. So can I, can I just say, I, I want to say a couple of things. One is that doubt and questions are not the opposite of faith. In fact, they're not even necessarily a challenge to faith. Someone once said that the greater challenge to faith is not doubt, but certainty. If you're absolutely certain of something. Oh. If you're absolutely certain of something, you don't even need to know why it happens. It just will happen. You don't have to have faith that that's going to fall on the ground. It will happen. You see, faith takes us beyond and into the realm of things that you can't always be certain about. That's the very nature of faith. 
Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. If faith could be proved, it reduces the actual element of faith in that. I brought the bike home along. And Ken knows all about the value of a bike helmet, don't you, Ken? Yeah. Because when you fall off, uh, I have a daughter who spent a few years in A&E at the Ulster. And she said, this has saved more lives than you could ever imagine. Because the certainty of gravity will take your head to the ground if you fall off the bike. And it would be ridiculous to say, I have faith that my head won't hit the ground. It will. But faith does take us beyond the things that can simply be proved. That's why it's called faith. There's something that takes us beyond this. Beyond the things we can see and touch. So why on earth would we believe in things like the resurrection? Will we believe because there's written evidence about it? 1 Corinthians 15, let me read you a few words. Paul writing, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen, I get this bit, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by, oh, pages up, by all the apostles, and last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I, Paul, also saw him. As we phrase in there, he was seen by more than 500 followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. And I think what Paul is actually saying to the right to the readers of First Corinthians is that um, there are hundreds of witnesses out there that Jesus walked around alive after his resurrection. And therefore, you can go and ask them. You don't have to just believe this, this letter that I've written. There are people you can talk to. And that's the words of someone who's absolutely convinced of what he himself has seen. He's inviting people to investigate this and see whether or not it is true. How do we know that Julius Caesar invaded Britain in 55 BC? It's written down. There are reliable written sources that could have been challenged when they were written. Paul's writings could have been challenged but weren't. They were accepted as accurate by the contemporaries of his day. That's partly why we believe in this resurrection. Because the textual evidence is there for us. And that's how we know anything in history. And the other reason why we believe, or why our faith can be rooted in something, it's the reaction of the people who saw Jesus alive. What changed in their lives? Paul wrote these words. Why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? 
For I swear to your brothers and sisters that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts in Ephesus if there will be no resurrection from the dead? Do you get what Paul said there? Paul has been in the arena fighting the wild animals because he refused to say that Jesus was not alive. Would you do that if you thought it had been made up? If you thought this had been invented by a group of people? It's a good story, it's a good end to the story of Jesus. Would you give your life for something you thought had been made up? The reaction of the people who spread this story. Paul goes on to say, if there is no resurrection, let's just feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. But they lived this out, and they gave their lives for it. They were absolutely convinced of this. Wow, it's, it's powerful testimony that, when people will give their lives for something. But let's jump to the most famous doubt of all. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, you've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wound in his side. Right? He, I've been reading this this week. I'm trying to, trying to imagine myself inside the head of Thomas. What was going on there? And I think there's a wee bit of Thomas feeling left out. Why would Jesus appear to the rest of them and not to me? Am I not one of these? There's something like that going on and there's a, a sort of resistance. Well, you know what? I'm just not going to believe it then. Unless I actually see it myself. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And Thomas was with them. Now, there's another wee key phrase. In the midst of questions and of doubts and of fears, Thomas could have walked away and said, I don't believe this. Jesus hasn't appeared to me. Why has he left me out? He could have walked away. But eight days later, he's still with them. He has refused to move, even though he said, I will not. Strangely, he's still there, which makes me think that inside of him, there's Oh, I wish I could. I really want to. He's not prepared to leave. He's hanging in there. And could I say that in times of doubt and of question and of fear and of feeling let down to God or anything else, could I encourage you never leave the company of other brothers and sisters in Christ? Because it will be in their midst, as Thomas found, that he encountered the resurrected Christ. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound of my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. You see, doubt and questions don't have to take you away from God at all. They can actually be woven into our faith to the point that we discover God 
in even greater ways. By having the courage to open the cupboard and let the skeleton of doubt and fear and questions have a little bit of room in our lives rather than trying to shut it away and pretend it's never there. Sometimes when we have some of those questions and we continue to go on waiting for God, that it will take us to a point of greater revelation of who God is. The doubting questions isn't the opposite of our faith, nor does it even have to destroy our faith. It can enrich it and deepen it and take us closer to God. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. But then Jesus said, and get this, because here's where we come in, sitting in these pews in beaver. Jesus said to Thomas, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's us. Blessed are we who believe without touching his hands and his wound. Because that's a deeper faith. Yeah? Anybody could believe in gravity because you can see it all the time. But this faith that we're talking about is believing in something that is deep inside of us and I have absolutely no doubt that there are encounters with God in this room among all of us as we worship God, as we pray to God, as we walk with God, as we uh, minister to the poor, as we reach out to the sick, as we've been around people who are dying. Uh, in all sorts of ways we will have encountered the living Christ. But it's always by faith. So today, could I encourage you in this resurrection season, could I encourage you to believe, to have faith, that isn't always searching for certainty, but is prepared to live with the possibility that some things are not going to be known by us. But also a faith that doesn't run away from things being difficult and wanting to find a nice simple answer for everything difficult and awkward that happens around us. And a faith in this resurrection season that will bring us closer to God. In the midst of more political upheaval, in the midst of things we've been praying for this week and the last few weeks and if you're involved in any of the week prayer whatsapp groups or any of those things there are some incredibly difficult situations around us at the moment and at times you can only i don't know about the rest but i find myself praying and wondering what is going on how does it not work why is this like this why does it go on and on and on but i find myself closer to god in the wrestling with it and I'm struggling with it. I've said, Lord, would you help us to pray again? So I want to encourage today, uh, the politicians use the word robust all these, day, all these days all the time, don't they? But everything has to be robust. But could we, could we learn to have a robust faith that even in the midst of things that seem to go wrong around us and the things that are awkward and awful in our world, 
that we carry the questions and the fears along with the belief and the faith. And we find ourselves whispering. Thomas explained it, but even get used to whispering, my Lord and my God. My Lord.